Welcome to Old Men Rolling Dice. I'm DM Jeremy. I have a whole bunch of people around the table with me tonight. The drinks have been flowing, so this could be a risque episode. Am I right? I think there's definitely a possibility. Yes. We have a full complement of old men here tonight. We do. So we literally, go? the only thing missing is a room full of old ladies. We, we, have, we have Jeff at the table who plays Ember in our podcast. We have Ian at the table who plays... Uh, Basil, I always forget your fucking name, and uh, <laughs> Jason, Jesus. Jason, my co-host, I never remember fucking Basil, I'm sorry, it's, I, it's I, a leaf. You know what it is? It's How the easiest name there. I know, I don't I, disagree with I you. I am currently obsessed with, I actually tried to find a, and this is off topic and means nothing at the moment, I was like, Jeremy, tell me you have a werebore miniature, we need to yeah, pick this the up. The episode <laughs> hasn't released yet. But when Basil goes werebore, you're going to love it. Absolutely. You're going to love it. Probably one of my highlights. Yes. And we have my my usual co-host, Jason, who plays Eukariah Borealis. You remember that name. I don't know I say it a lot. I do say it a lot. He's the pink devil, the man of two tails. And we're joined tonight by an old friend, Mr. Don Gates. And Don has played D&D with us more times than he probably cares to admit. Mm, Yeah. 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 You can always have more. It's all, it's I think it's, a, it's always a, good. There's a thing, and I believe it's called gamer gluttony. I don't know that there's a point where you just have too much gaming. Is I'm, there a point where gaming makes you gag? I didn't see that turn coming. I, I'm not sure where you're going with that. <laughs> like, can you explain that? If I if I if I if I feed you my gaming. <laughs> you know I have a low gaming tolerance. Okay, actually, okay, okay. I'm an anomaly at the table for sure. Okay, there's there is a point where you would gag. I find that You're once, a four-hour session once a month fully meets all my gaming criteria for the month. Yes. Yes. I, You're not a real gamer, then. No, I am, no. I am an incredibly casual gamer. We talked... I have worked with a, a fellow who's talking about, like, every other weekend they do a 12-hour session on Saturday and an eight-hour on Sunday. Like, 20 hours in every other weekend. That sounds fantastic. That, that is like sound... a double penetration of gaming. <laughs> really, eh? That's Both holes filled with hot gaming action. <laughs> hot gaming action, yes. For me, this is it's absolutely too much gaming. I, I would have to bail on that 100%. Gaming abstinence. Yeah. Gaming yeah, abstinence. Really, eh? Yeah. Like yeah, too, really? Do you want to really game for 12 consecutive hours? Yes, why not? That would be great. I'd do it. I do it. Sure. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I don't know. I honestly, I get fidgety after four hours. I have like a three-hour window basically where I function, and then I just sort of shut down. Yeah, it just becomes unhip. Oh, cool. oh. here we go. Okay, <laughs> we should probably finish introducing so, our guest this yes. evening. So, Mr. Don Gates is not just Don Gates. Is not Don Gates. He is the author, Don Gates, and creator of. Jeff, read, read those titles out. Yeah, so Don, Don has uh, some Pulp Fiction books that he's written, The Isle of Blood, and uh, his second book, Curse of Poesidon. And they're in say the that again. Say, yeah. Curse of Poesidon. No. No, no, say it again. <laughs> oh my god, this is just like, what was the other word? What was the other word? <laughs> Try that one again. Remember? Sigil. Poseidon. Poseidon! Yay! Poisson! It was like it was like we were It's like a French Poseidon. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah. Ah, you tabard lad! <laughs> Hello! Is we're anybody in, on the boat? We're in, we're in Montreal. 
Welcome. Before you go it's on the boat. It's only today we are broadcasting from beautiful Paris. <laughs> Before you go on the boat. <laughs> make sure you Ontario. Say, make sure you say hello to Poisson. <laughs> These are the two novels starring the character Challenger Storm. What can I say? Okay. If everybody else is saying it wrong, what? say no one. Hey, maybe, that's maybe we're all wrong. How do you say, <laughs> how do you say Zeus? <laughs> Zeus? Zeus? Okay. So what are we After doing this evening? We're going to talk about Don's books. We're going to talk about building a narrative, I think. If it's okay with Don. And how that interacts or links over to roleplay? Sure. Yes. Let's, let's call it that. Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely a lot of similarities. Like I can see where in a Venn so who, diagram situation, let, the two. Let's overlap. put let's put yeah. Don under the light and someone ask him a question. How's your next book coming? <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's probably about halfway written. And Is it really? Yeah, um, give or take. It's been a while since I worked on it, but I am working on it. Hit some bumps along the way, but uh, it's coming. Okay, let's coming. Let so, me ask this I, question. I Sorry, you go ahead. Yeah, I've got a question. So what, I've got what, was, what was the information? So inspiration for so this this takes place in a world called the Martelverse, which you yeah, created pretty much. Yeah. So what was the inspiration for the for the characters in the book and the, the idea for the concept for the book? Um, Especially like say Challenger Storm. I mean, he's yeah. a central character. Like, where did that come from? Yeah, it's uh, he's kind of a continuation of uh, classic. Pulp fiction characters like uh, guys like Doc Savage and Captain Hazard, which are pretty much forgotten by a lot of people. I don't know um, who I've heard of Doc Savage. Yeah, The Rock was supposed to play Doc Savage in a movie like two years ago, and then the it Rock. fell through. It tanked. So, yeah, yeah, it didn't happen, but would have been nice. But um, yeah, so it's kind of like carries on that tradition. Um, you know, hey, you're fucking cheating. What? It says right here on the back of Challenger <laughs> Storm: The Isle of Blood. Move over, Doc Savage and Captain Hazard. Oh yeah. Here comes America's <laughs> those, newest pulp hero, Challenger Storm. He read his tagline. The, those What's are, wrong with that? Those are the I'm two just busting his balls. <laughs> those this are the is why we have trouble getting guests. That's good fucking. <laughs> I think this is part of it. I think you don't invite somebody on and then immediately bust their balls. I, I'm sorry. You've got to lull them into a sense Don, of security I am, first. I am sorry. I am sorry. That is just good fucking marketing. <laughs> Come on over to the podcast. Get your balls busted. Oh, okay, so you you like you like Put this era. What is it about the pulp era that you like? It's probably like the last time that uh, there were spots on the map that you could say were like fully unexplored. You know, there was there wasn't satellite imagery. Uh, we were still kind of getting the lay of the land. There was some areas that were jungles. So the deep dark Congo. Yeah. The, the Bermuda Triangle. There was things that were unsolved yet. Yeah. A, there was mystery still. Still mystery. Okay. It's so tonight. if someone out there doesn't know, what would be what would be some prime examples of pulp of pulp fiction? Uh, things that just come to mind that are that are like pulp fiction of that era. Yeah. Like, uh, Think about movies like uh, well the Indiana Jones series, fantastic. The, the Mummy movies, the Ian Fraser ones, the first couple. By the way, not the, incredibly the, underrated. Not the Tom Cruise. They're not underrated. Everyone loves them. <laughs> Does everyone love them? No, I absolutely yeah. love those movies. Actually, the Tom Cruise one, maybe not. The Tom yeah. Cruise one. I won't even look at that. <laughs> it had all the potential in the world, I think, for Tom Cruise one. You know what it did have though? They made it wrong. Tom Cruise. <laughs> okay. Did you say Sin City was? Yeah, it's yeah, it's like a noir. It's a bit thing. Yeah, it's more like a like modern pulp, but it still has like the gritty. Uh, but this noir. But when you get into the like age that. of pulp writing, you correct me if I'm wrong here. In the we would not have seen novels during that time, 
It would have been no. like they're, they're short, stories short stories in, in magazines yeah. and yeah. Uh, and novellas. Is that a short novel? No, and then the I think you're even talking about sort of the old radio. Yeah, radio the radio programs. Program, right? Yeah, that definitely. The pulp magazine the industry was like massive back in uh, back in the 30s and 40s. Like it was huge, and uh, you don't even hear about those things these days. But yeah, they were. It was like uh, geek entertainment, I guess, for the era <laughs> before it existed, really. Like out of that same pulp era of where you have sort of these adventurer stories, is adventure. that a good yeah, sort of, When I think of Indiana Jones, and even after reading Challenger Storm. They're adventurers in the truest sense of the word. As you said, exploring those places that aren't explored yet. Yeah. But you also have people competing with them. Was Conan not during the pulp era? No, yeah, Conan was definitely Conan. written. Robert E. Howard Robert was, e. Howard was really writing prolific it. pulp writer. You're looking at a lot of the early... So the whole Even horror, horror, the my horror genre oh, yeah. really started yeah. in that oh, yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. I would consider it all geek literature, uh, right? Oh, yeah. This is super cool. Maybe now. Maybe not back then. I think that I think back then some of them would have been considered actually incredibly inappropriate. Almost. Oh yeah, they had, a level of risque. They had the spicy pulps, which were all like very, very like PG-rated sex, but it was uh, you know it was taboo for the time. If you can look online and stuff, some of the old pulp covers and stuff, there was the woman with the torn dress oh, tied yeah. to the, uh, the pole, yeah. and somebody was rescuing her. A little side boob. Who did your covers? That is famous comic book artist by the name of Michael Kaluta. Yes. Yeah. Tell us the story how this happened because I know it, but yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So he was my favorite artist and still is favorite comic artist. When I was writing the book, my wife, the first book, my wife was like, "Why don't you contact him and ask him if he'll do your art?" And I said, "She's crazy. No, you know, no <laughs> way." <laughs> and everybody at the tables told their wife they're crazy. Exactly. One time or another. Yeah. yeah. Fucking crazy. And we've all slept on each other a few times. No, but she wrote him an email, and he responded, surprisingly. Then this correspondence happened between the two of them. Then I got in on it and asked him, you know, just eventually came out and asked him, would he, you know, would he do it? And uh, he said, he said sure, because he likes that. Stuff. He's done I mean, both of them, right? Yeah. Both covers yeah. are by him. Yeah, he's got a very fond, a lot of fondness for the pulp era. He drew the Shadow comics in the '70s and '80s, and uh, did a lot of stuff with airships and planes and stuff like that. So he. Matt, he was a perfect match. And it just makes... Like, the books are attractive to look at. Yeah. I, I don't have the print version. This is gorgeous, the ones that I'm looking at. Yeah, he did the interiors and the covers, too. Yeah, which, some really nice stuff on the inside. Yeah. Some nice... If anybody's, like, hasn't read Don's stuff, it's easy to find. It's on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'm sure others. It's on Audible. I think I got mine off Audible or something. Yeah. Because I did not... I'll be honest, I didn't read it. I listened to it. I know you're an audiobook book guy. I know. I know. I'm not, I'm not good. Uh, it's not that I can't read. I don't like to read. Which is crazy when I think of the wall of and gaming books that uh, yeah. reside in your house. Really hasn't read any of them. I have read them. Read fewer That's and, and played even fewer. <laughs> That's not true. So, the, I mean, the books look awesome. I have not gotten to uh, Poissadon. Oh, this is going to be an ongoing. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I have not gotten to the Curse of Poissadon. I hate to, dis I hate to disappoint you, but it doesn't take place anywhere near France. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit! <laughs> Are you sure? No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I, I enjoyed Challenger Storm. Oh, thank you. And uh, I liked... I thought he was... Uh, I think you and I have actually talked about this before. Hmm. I thought he was a little... As a character, uh, he reminded me a little bit of James Bond. Well, I was going to ask, did you base him on anyone? Or is he a conglomeration of a uh, he, bunch of characters? He, he was influenced by those guys like... Doc Savage and Captain Hazard, but he was, uh, 
he's I, I tried to make him a lot more human and relatable and if people aren't familiar with those characters and the, the way those characters are I always tell them as a shorthand I say he's like a combination of Indiana Jones James Bond and Howard Hughes gets he gets by with gadgets but he also relies on his own kind of you know his own I'm going to admit, I to. don't know who Howard Hughes is he is a he was a, a brilliant like aviation. Yeah, oh, go, okay. go watch The Aviator with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. It's actually a pretty good movie, and it's a shame because he went. Uh, yeah, he, he had some mental issues that uh, kind of brought him down. But before that, he was you know yeah amazing. Uh, yeah, all sorts of innovations, and he's the man that invented the underwire bra. <laughs> he wanted aerodynamic boobs. <laughs> boobs. I brought it all <laughs> again. Full circle. Full circle. There, there, <laughs> there was a discussion. There was a discussion. Prior to this, there yes. was an underwire-related discussion. That's all we're going to say about it. So for your books, yeah. how do you create the story? Like, how, Where do you start? This is something we were discussing before you got here. Because if, and this is where I think it ties into developing a role-playing campaign. Mm-hmm. Is that different people look at, like, I understand some people, we were discussing it, maybe have like an end scene or an end thing, mm-hmm. the ending, and then so backfilled. And then we were talking to people here at the table who base it on other aspects or other uh, criteria. I always start with my villain. I, you know, honestly, I don't have like a hard and fast rule as far as where to start. It usually starts with just like, it could be a person. It could be a, something I see like on History Channel or something like something mm-hmm. that inspires just a, a quick, you know, a thought of uh, what if, or wouldn't it be cool if, dot, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, I don't really, I mean, inspiration comes from a lot of sources. Um, video games, I play a lot of more video games than I should probably, but I sometimes will come up with ideas like while I'm playing video games. For you, I mean, you've got a great hero here. Mm-hmm. Challenger Storm is obviously an easy place to focus any storytelling around. Yeah. As opposed to... Well, he's a catalyst, right? You can... Yeah, yeah. Any sort of scenario you've got, you've got this common thread that's going to run through it. Right, right. The, the, the first book, it was easy to focus on him a lot because I had to kind of do an origin thing. Um, and then the second book was more of just a... I've always liked like Greek mythology, and, and uh, I just I, I kind of started working Posidon. with that. Yeah, Poseidon. Yeah, he's always my favorite Greek god. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure you're seeing that right. <laughs> But uh, the the third one, the one I'm working on, actually kind of started with the idea for a villain. You know, it's a classic trope to have a dark version of the villain or of the hero as a villain. Kind of like where I'm coming at with the third one. There's a, a German mercenary hired by the Nazis in the third one who's very much like the evil Challenger Storm. So it's like a bad version of him. Kind of like. So you focused on Challenger, but Challenger has a team. Well, uh, that's a classic like pulp hero trope uh, that a lot of guys had like a team of guys that would help them and uh, guys or girls, you know, whatever. They would kind of, you know, go on adventures with them and they're heroic on their own, on their own grounds. You know, you could probably do a story about these characters and these stories. Well, each of them could be a spin-off for sure. Yeah. I've actually thought about doing that a couple times with these guys. And I like it that, like, you set, you set, like, his Challenger's, like, uh, you know, base of operation is is set at an airstrip in Florida, which is where you're We should probably mention this. It's the MARTL, which stands for? Uh, It's uh, Miami Aerodrome Research and Development Laboratories. 
Mm-hmm. I was going to say it myself, okay. but I was worried I'd mess it up. <laughs> and, so that's why I tossed so it at him. <laughs> I have the advantage of knowing uh, Don and his, Don's wife, Anne. And I think the woman that looks after the home base for Challenger Storm is Anne. Very, very much so. I read it. <laughs> I hear like... Is there base? I like, you were from Florida. Is the base near... No, no. I come from like the north central part of the state mostly, and they're in, based out of Miami, so it's a long way away. I, I've never actually been to Miami. I'd like to, but... Uh, <laughs> Especially this time of year, but um, but yeah, it's I kind of saying it's cold. What are you saying? It's a little cold. Yeah. Well, Canadian summer going on here. It's going to be plus two tomorrow. <laughs> so Don DM'd us. Did you? We ran Tomb of Annihilation with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you DM'd that, and I'm going to get to my favorite encounter in that campaign. Oh, in a moment. I know where this is. Going. I'm wondering if it's the same one that I was thinking about. <laughs> you totally know which one it is. It, you totally know. Well, let's not ruin no, it, but you no, totally no, know. No, no, no. But before you did that <laughs> campaign, there was a short couple one-offs that you ran yeah. as DM. Mm-hmm. It was your first time DMing. Mm-hmm. Did you find your process creating that mimicked? So it was a homebrew? Yes, that? it was a yeah. homebrew. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of mimicked that a little bit. I, I'd come up with like the background of the world and like some of the things that could happen. Um, but I, I, the way I write is always like... I don't always write points A, B, C, D in that order. I'll mm-hmm. write, I'll come up with like point A, point M, point, you know, W, whatever. And then I just start kind of trying to connect the dots. Connecting the dots in an RPG campaign is pretty much, uh, it's like, it's like writing. It, the encounters in the RPGs are like the connecting the dots in writing, basically. Um, but that's where the players come in to kind of help fill in those those connecting. But lines. they don't fill them in sometimes. I mean, no. Clearly, <laughs> players fuck it up for us DMs. Yeah, you cannot factor in player fuckery. You, you player just can't. creativity. Well, creativity. depends on who's it's playing. Fuckery. Sometimes it's playing as fuckery. Have you met Lander? <laughs> oh my God, Lander! Just so everyone, Lander is Giddon. Jeff, our Using other our other Jeff. <laughs> In yeah. in our in our podcast, in possibly one of his most legendary roles, Lander. La- actually, Lander, his character Lander was really. I, I still don't trust Lander. I kind of <laughs> wanted to mess with him a little bit in his uh, with his uh, his patron because he was a warlock. I always wanted to mess with him using his patron and kind of really kind of like start digging a knife in a little bit and getting him to react. Otherwise, you know, in another way other than how can I mess this up? I'd like to see that in a game. I always think that when we are playing sometimes, you know, like there's people that have these, uh, warlocks that have these patrons or uh, clerics that are devoted and stuff. And it doesn't ever seem like that that line or that connection never follows through in a lot of campaigns. Mm -hmm. Like I always picture like a warlock is like getting like, every time there's a full moon, I got to be here in this glade. And the guy's like, hey, show me everything you found the last month. Sweet. I'll take this. Could you come back next month with some more stuff? Here's what I'm going to tell you from a DM standpoint. Every campaign you run, someone has the warlock. And that, what you described, gets old quick. I don't know. We don't have a warlock. I know. I keep thinking we have a warlock. I I keep calling our sorcerer a warlock. (laughs) He's not, apparently. I've never cast Elder's Blast in my life. (laughs) But I still call you a warlock. So Dawn ran Tomb of Annihilation for us. Unfortunately, schedules screwed up the ending. And this happens, I think, a lot in gaming. The the, the coordination of this many people and in modern times in this day and age with people having so much other play. Because we played a long time. It was over like a year and a half, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Life just yeah. catches up. So and we yeah. almost got to the end. We were in the the dungeon of the nine gods or whatever it's called. You were like two two sessions away probably from finishing. Yes, and so. it all went to shit. Uh, however, the best encounter. It was actually not a tomb of annihilation encounter. Uh, it was old Greg. I thought you were going to talk about that oh, goblin you're village. Talking about the goblin. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the goblin. <laughs> that was there, old, Greg. Old, awesome. old Greg was fantastic. Uh, and <laughs> Jeff Lander asked me to bring this up. Uh, the crown of dicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of mileage. Uh, that was there was the result of the there was a uh, what was that called a shield guardian the a shield guardian yeah. which had a crown made out of goblin dicks. I was in Lander's pair for a number of those. Times. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I looked at him in complete ignorance. I, uh, yeah, I never. I was. I missed yeah. a great session. You <laughs> never saw. You were there for the crown of goblin dicks. Come on. It came up like almost every session. Every like, every session. session. I don't remember making it. I must have missed that. It and was then apparently I was pacified and can you, left me. Can you see this face on Ian right now? <laughs> This is him going, why the fuck does he talk about things like this? Yeah. <laughs> really, like a year and a half, and you're like, remember the crown of dicks? Yeah. That was, that was it. The that crown of dicks. dicks. No, and old well, Greg, if you have... if you have nothing a, else. If you have, no, there was lots of other stuff, but those two things... That was the pinnacle. Okay, yeah, old Greg. <laughs> if yeah. anybody's seen the video for old Greg, it's, it's like, I don't know what to describe it as. I, I'm going to say it. He has a mangina, which is fantastic. <laughs> Uh, Dawn even simulated the Mangina in game. There was a blinding flash of yeah. light. You had to do like a wisdom save. If you are listening to this right now and going, "What the fuck are these guys talking about?" Go on YouTube, search Old Greg. Yeah, Mighty Boosh. The Mighty Boosh. Yeah. The Mighty Boosh. Is that the TV show it was from? Yeah. He even had Old Greg drink Bailey's from a shoe to heal. That's right. It was, it was genius. <laughs> It was something, and what what was awesome about it was everybody at the table. We had had a big laugh a couple nights about the old Greg video. Everybody had had a chuckle. I, no, Jason's gonna plead that he wasn't there. there. I had to come that back. He wasn't and there. I was working nights then. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I missed the old Greg session. But we all had back. a good laugh about old Greg, yeah, yeah. and then Dawn put him in the game. He like did everything from the video. He he asked us if we'd ever had Bailey's. He, he, he drank a, it from his shoe to heal. He took a shine to your character, Wyatt, too. He was like, you want to come down and see me? Yeah. <laughs> come drink some Baileys with me. <laughs> and then he, he shone his mangina at which was fantastic. He lifted his tutu and hit us with the... And like, it was a cone attack. It was fantastic. It was one of the best adaptations I'd ever seen in a game, and I've seen a lot of fucking games. I wish I could remember what I stole. I stole some stats some stats for him. I think it was Medusa or something. I can't remember, but it I, I really like Frankenstein the shit out of it. But it worked really well. We well, could turn a fun. stone from being from looking into the mangina. <laughs> I got a mangina How many times have I said mangina? A lot. <laughs> Is there a limit? Is it, have you hit like your mangina I think limit? Hit, I, think I, I, have, I think I have like sir you're cut off. You've had you've had enough, you've had enough mangina. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was uh, that, oh, it was fantastic. He warned us he was going to do this. I just didn't see how he would get around it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he found a legal loophole. <laughs> huh? He's got like Johnny Cochran over there covering for him. <laughs> the best parts of D and D is when I, a DM can like take I, something. I something. He yeah. yeah, you did. Oh, Ian, come on! <laughs> it was good. It, like when a DM can take something that everybody was having a good laugh about and then incorporate it. And like play it up, and he's reaching for more wine. <laughs> <laughs> he drank it right into the bottle. 
You don't see it? Don, it was brilliant. Well, thank you very I, much. I, de- <laughs> I feel bad for having missed it. I DM I a lot, and that move is fantastic. I just, I thought, what, what would they enjoy? What would get a big, like, just a huge pop out of these guys? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so novel writing. Yeah. You woke up one day, you're like, I'm doing this? No, I, <laughs> well, I guess, kind of. I, I'd always uh, did a lot of daydreaming and stuff, and never actually tried to focus that. And then just one day I thought, you know what, I'll, what the hell, I'll just start and see what happens. And, uh, you know, there was, I had a few friends online that I kind of brought some ideas to them. I used them as kind of a committee to say what works, what doesn't, what do you think of this, what do you, you know. And they liked everything pretty much, which I'm not bragging, I'm just glad that they did because I don't think I want to change anything. So uh, I just took it and ran with it. How, how long was the process? Yeah, like, like first, start to the finish. first book. Like, like how? Uh... <laughs> It probably took me, once I started writing the book, it probably took me, shit, I guess a year, I guess, to write the first one, maybe a year and a half, and then... Like the first draft, or the there, whole, from yeah, beginning to end? Like, had you spent a year prior to that thinking, like, creating, char- like, the ideas for people in your head, I, or did, I did I did the characters, and then I kind of did the outline, and then every day at work, I, I worked at a call center at the time, and every day at work, I would write on my lunch break in longhand on yellow legal pad. It's too simple. It sounds too simple, but like you know, people like Neil Gaiman or whatever, you read about like, stuff that they've said about writing, and it's like, you know, a writer is a person who just sits down and do it. Yeah. Like you, there's no other easy way about it. Yeah. There's no... There's nothing it sets... Or, it's easy to make excuses. Yeah, the only, the only thing that really sets you apart is you're doing it. Like the, I know lots writing. of people that say they're writers. No word of a lie. If you are in a and d role-playing community you will find people that claim to be writers yeah oh, a lot of fan fiction yeah a lot of bare chest like, <laughs> mary like what is that mary sue stories <laughs> but, but don like these are actual fucking books he wrote them absolutely all these other people going like oh yeah i write on my spare time yeah, it's like, like that's fine but what do you have to show for it like this man has something to show for it mm-hmm. what did you find most difficult dialogue story plot actually well dialogue was pretty bad in fact in the in the first book I, I think pretty much all the dialogue is kind of wooden myself but that's just me being kind of critical it was that and trying to come up with the connecting dots like i said earlier like i just I, I knew that like you know i wanted them to start here and then i wanted them to kind of come here and do this and you know but what are they going to do between that and how are they going to get that from there to the end you know so it was just that was probably the part was coming up with the connecting threads between the points basically from point a to point b oh yeah Oh yeah, all the way through. Interestingly enough, if I'm, and I'm sure if anybody's listening has DM'd uh, a, a sort of a free-formed open D and D game, that can be one of the hardest parts there too. Mm. Is trying to get uh, someone from point A. You know where you want them to go. Yeah. But how do you get them there? Well, with in when running a game, it's a lot more difficult to get people to the next point because a lot of times they want to go look at well what we're at point b but what's going on on at point c point five or whatever here's a dm know? tip don't ever put a fucking library between point a and point b <laughs> they'll never fucking get there <laughs> really why you putting a library players think that all answers to the game are in the library so they will search that library up and down they will look for every book they will look for secret panels they will do, they will, they will spend session after session in that library. I think he's right, too. In, in, in a live game session, where you're writing, 
you've got the the luxury of sitting down and seeing it laid out before you. When you're at a table with five or six unruly old men, which is how we would describe our game, it, it's um it's like stand up, like it, the spontaneity. You not no. you can't plan for everything that's going to happen. Oh yeah, yeah. So well, I mean, yeah. he's in control of Challenger Storm. He's in control. Yeah. If he Challenger Storm was a character, he would do some fucked up things. <laughs> if in a book, there's okay. no player agency. <laughs> in a book, the readers have no agency, so they can't like mess with the plot. You know, that's a great vocab. Wow, man, that's that's me. I'm so proud of you right now. <laughs> Thank you. Agency. But but that's what's fun I've about doing a game, though. Like running a game, it's fun because you, you, the players can interact with the story and change it, and you know, do things with it that but you don't didn't you find intend. That frustrating when the players go, "I want to go over there." It's like. Not really. I plan for over here. Not really. I. No, <laughs> okay. Here, here's. I, I have another question for Don. So, this is not in modern day. It's not even like when you and I grew up. It's not in the eight. Oh, the, yeah, the stuff in the books. Like this yeah. is not in the eighties. Yeah. Shit. By the way, leg warmers, best thing to ever come out of the eighties. Not true. <laughs> I'll one up you. Oh. Tube top. Definitely, if that's all. <laughs> Wasn't that a 70s thing? Well, I'm a little older. But I'm telling you, the tube top... <laughs> so, go ahead. Tube top and leg top. I feel like the Do you know the way tube tops failed or faltered? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> it was a horrible design, and thank the Lord whoever designed it. The tube top was designed for disaster, and it, and it fulfilled the space. <laughs> it definitely wasn't Howard Hughes. <laughs> no, yeah, no, he, no. he even underwired the tube top. <laughs> That's where you're going with the question. That wasn't, <laughs> but I love it. Uh, That's your sound bite. You're welcome. Leg, leg warmers might be better still. Does it fit a tube top? Uh, oh, you know what? We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk, talk about it. I'd like yeah. to see a show of hands. We, we, <laughs> yeah, we digress. Yeah. Okay. But Challenger Storm, 1920s or earlier? Uh, Ten, 1910s? 30s, actually. Yeah. 30s? Mostly 30s and 40s, yeah. So, so we're getting into World War II. This is not World War One. Right. We're getting into World War Two, mm-hmm. and did you research? Uh, yeah, I did. I did some research. Um, I mean, obviously, so, because it shows in the reading. But well, thank you. But I, but a lot of the stuff I just knew because I kind of like that era. Any era that has a Zeppelin in it is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love Zeppelins. <laughs> I love airships. That's why I started the first book with a whole scene involving a, a Zeppelin, a, a cool high tech airship. You know, and let's be honest. I mean, I would love to see one of those right now. Like, if there was one out there right now, I would never go to an air show. It doesn't interest me, but they're like, hey, they're flying this up. Uh, like, Hindenburg? I'm not saying I want to ride it. I don't, but I would I like don't even think you'd it. want to be at that air show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that would be Fair enough. Good. You know what? <laughs> Let's put a big gas, a big bag of exploded, I can't even speak, a big gas of it. Nope. Fuck it. I'm done. I'm done. Good night, everybody. Oh, nothing gets edited. I'll guarantee you that. Good night, Dick. Good night, Dick. Okay. No, all I'm saying, like, did you find that one of, so, Call of Cthulhu, which we have been looking at a lot, takes place in the 1920s. One of the most intimidating things about running it, and something that Jason and I both found as we reviewed the story in it, what technology do they have in the 20s? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, is a flashlight there? We found out, yes, there are Yeah, because there's a... There's certainly we reviewed a, we the starter box by Chaosium for their Call of Duty game set in the 1920s. So is that is that a stumbling block when you're writing this? Or because 
you're writing sort of, I, would you call this an alternate timeline and therefore you could mess with technology a bit? It didn't start that way, but it's funny you guys brought up the Hindenburg because I thought that, and I still may, uh, the Hindenburg may actually be uh, averted. The, the accident might be averted in Challenger Storm. So there may come a point where it diverges from the actual real-world timeline. But, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I really want to do that because it uh, brings in some world-building, and I don't know if I'm but quite up to the task well, for some they of that. Are you're committing to something, right? But people are going exactly. to have opinions But they did create exactly. their own technology in the book. Yeah. Is that sort of right? Yeah. It's, yeah, okay. I... Run that by me again. Diesel punk. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I definitely got that feel when I read the book. Yeah, I would definitely place yeah. place these books in the realm of diesel punks. But so for the book, yes, flashlights may be there. I mean, because that's. But my thing is, Jason and I, as we were reading this, uh, so that it's like a choose your own adventure book for Call of Duty. Teaches you the Call of Duty game. Yes. And at one point in time in the book, it says you are now in a 1920s general store. It is full of everyday common items. If there are two items you would like, you have the finances to purchase them, to write them down on your sheet. We didn't know what I mean, like, yeah. like, What the like, hell is in a 1920s general <laughs> store? Can I get a flashlight? Like, do they have that there? And they all, we'll, won't go into the review. It's a it's a separate podcast. Listen to it. It's fantastic. Yeah. But I was like, <laughs> and that's what kind of got me thinking. I don't know a lot about 1920s technology. What was the most popular brand like, what, whiskey? Okay, like, <laughs> can I, I can get a simple lighter. Probably. Probably, but I mean... <clears throat> but can you? Can you? Is 1920s Zippo material? No, oh, and I get a refillable one, right? Yeah. yeah. Would you give Challenger Storm a Zippo later? Sure. Yeah? He yeah. probably has one. Come on. Probably yeah. eventually. He, he, he smokes a cigar at the end of every book, pretty oh, much. So. so he has a tobacconist. <laughs> tobacconist! Okay, so this is one of the things. As we were reading that's through it... The, see? That's what I thought. Tobacconist. Tobacconist. Nice. First it sells tobacco. Nice. Did not know. We're currently courting tobacconists for our podcast. We think we're pro-tobacconists. Okay. <laughs> we're like, yeah, if you're out there and you're a tobacconist, uh, so, give us a like. So yeah, give us a tobacconist and not tobaccoist? Yeah, the, it's it's kind of fun to make up some technology and stuff. Like, there's some stuff in the books that doesn't exist, like smoke grenades that glow, like glowing smoke and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah goggles and things like that. Yeah, it's, you know, it, you can play around. You haven't read the next one, though, have you? There's lots more exciting stuff in that. There is. There's like, like powered mech suits and stuff yeah. in that. And there's a little plane, right? Like, what's the plane where he jumps around? And there's a little plane. There's mech suits in the second one? So we are getting very there's diesel a, punk. Yeah, there's there's yeah, a, there's a few planes in there. I'm interested in diesel punk. Seems cool. Yeah. I, I wrote a short story. It also got published about a diesel punk character where I just like laid into the, the freaky technology and I had like giant Tesla power. Uh, power supply towers across the city, and the guy had a powered exosuit and stuff. It was actually kind of cool. So where was that published? Published by the same people who published my books, such as Airship Twenty Seven. So it was like in one of their anthologies. Yeah. It was in yeah, it was in one of their anthologies, and uh, it was a character called the Moth, and I kind of liked it actually. Yeah. It was I, I kind of think about doing them sometimes. Yeah, so definitely doing so that character again. Well, do we want to wrap there? <laughs> yeah, can I read something from Don's book? You, if Don's okay with it, I'm okay with it. So this one is the... Uh, no, don't just say it right. We're going to say it, say it right. We're not playing this. This, this joke is played out. <laughs> Poseidon. Did you bookmark that or something? Uh, no, he's reading no, it. No, right I just found, I found it here. I know well, for a fact that Jeff is an about, avid reader. We're talking about flawed characters, right? So. And now a reading by reading. Jeff. I won't use your last name. So the context now, here is... Stop it. I'm, I'm getting into oh, that. Sorry. 
And now reading from Curse of Wasada. <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're boarding they're boarding an airship called the Independence and they're in the elevator. So it says no pressure, so, but don't fuck this so, up. Would you <laughs> shut up? It's not an airship. It's a it's actually an ocean going vessel. Oh, sorry. It's okay. You've In the elevator, Diana turned to Storm Cliff. I've heard about this ship before, but I had no idea it would be so big and that so many people would be staffing it. Exactly how many people do you have working on the Martel payroll? Storm looked into deep. A space blankly, then cocked his head and frowned. Finally, he shook his head and grinned. I don't really know, he said sheepishly. Marine keeps track of all the nuts and bolts and paychecks and personnel. Uh, thank God for her, I'd be lost. William Brock exchanged a quick smile. As much as Storm was renowned as a globe-trotting adventure designer and creator of the sprawling and many ma- many-armed martel organization, he was also clueless when it came to the work of organizing and running its regular business. His eternal eternal expatriated secretary was every bit the medium through which Martel ran smoothly. And the fact quietly the fact that the fact quietly embarrassed Storm. He had vowed to better himself in every way, to become a man of science and adventure and a force of good in the world, and yet could barely organize his own operations. He's a flawed character. He doesn't. All great heroes are flawed. He's just. Yeah. A, That's another podcast. So is that a nod <laughs> to? That, that's how, a nod. how how close does that hit to the bone? That's yeah. That's definitely a reference to uh, to my wife Annie, yeah. and uh, yeah, she she's the one that keeps the gears moving, and I just I'm out in space. This this is my favorite. <laughs> that's totally me. I'm that telling you, that, now that that's from Sorry, book that was two. A shit reading, that's from anyway. book two. But when I was reading book one and knowing Dawn and Anne, I was like. This woman is Anne. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that's been established. I know, but it was a great aha <laughs> moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, they say to write what you know. Yeah, exactly. Write what you know. And yeah, that's yeah. Just I think if you do that, you're, you're, my you're wife, the most honest. My wife should be thankful that I don't write a book. <laughs> oh, so we should, we should definitely give a shout out to your publisher, right? Yes. Which we think we did already, but... No, let's do it. Yeah. Airship27hanger.com. Mm-hmm. Check their stuff out. I was on the website the other day. Yeah, a lot absolutely. of good looking stuff there. Yeah. yeah they, so that's where you can find stuff. Don's books, too. Well, when I write the uh, Challenger Storm role playing game, uh, oh, they can me. send me a check. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, huh? This is, that's actually something that I, I kind of thought about a few times doing that kind of a thing, just because why not? You can write a source book. You don't have to write the rules. Yeah, that's kind of what I want. The beautiful thing is, there's so many generic. There's so many generic systems out there. You find a system you like, right? And then you write open license a lot of them. Then you write a source book that utilizes that system. Okay, we will 100% back you on it as long as all four of us become very heroic-looking characters. So this is how I see it happening. I don't have to be that heroic. No, no, I don't have to be heroic, but I need a big dick. The cover of the book is going to be very Morrisley Yale, okay? Okay. And uh, there's going to there's not going to be a lot of shirts. We're definitely going to be muscular for once. Oil, and body oil love, everywhere. And you could uh, put Satine Phoenix in there somewhere for us. Why did you have to bring up Satine? Because I know I know it's your hey uh, it's your Achilles heel, uh, leg, hip, and spine. <laughs> I love her. I, I love we've established that. Uh, My point is, I can't wait to see this book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look fantastic. Uh, 
Uh, I don't care how I look as long as I'm welcome. <laughs> There's I another t-shirt that nobody wants to buy right there. I don't care how I look <laughs> as long as I'm welcome. Just make Jeremy his mount. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a stallion. <laughs> But uh, I think we should. I think we should wrap ranks. there. We're gonna wrap there. I think we should wrap there. Let's wrap there. Have a drink. Wrap- well, there might only be ten minutes of this left by the time we edit it down. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little on the sloppy side. Yeah. Good night, Dick. <laughs>